mystery in five songs with host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Hello once again. Welcome back to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are pleased, as always, to be part of this vast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right, so... This episode is a follow-up to the last episode, which was 221, and I called that Recalled Reactions from 1976. Uh, The thing is, when I was putting together that episode, I had a list of other albums that I wanted to talk about, but I didn't know how to fit them into the whole thing, and I sliced and diced and came up with a bunch from 1976. You guys seem to like that episode. I got a lot of good comments on that. So this is going to be called uh, Recalled Reactions, Big Debut Albums. So this will pretty much take care of the whole thing. I don't know. I have kind of a weird bunch for 1983 that I might get to at some point. Not sure. Uh, But this is sort of the same sort of thing where I'm going to be talking about uh, albums. And again, uh, the, the idea was to go back to legitimate stories from as far back as I can remember. So these are essentially, uh, this all fits in more or less between 76 and 77. Uh, I do have a 76 in here, um, but it is a debut and I didn't talk about it last time. Um, so uh, the other the other rule that I made for myself is that these have to be um, recalled reactions. Not only are they debut albums, but they're bands I'm coming to as debut albums. So this is uh, the first album uh, that they put out. Uh, kind of thing, right? Um, yeah, the first, yeah, 76 wasn't all debuts. No, I don't think so. So, uh, so yeah, so the idea here, um, again, it's uh, it's true reactions as a kid. So, se- you know, a lot of this is 77. So we're talking 14 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I recall wherever I told these stories, I've told these stories before. It's, it's possibly been in past episodes, although I've combed the titles of them and don't really see where, but it could be on the contrarians. It could be on sea of tranquility. It could be on guesting on other people's shows, but I wanted to make this the most complete answer of these things. Um, uh, because yeah, that was a neat, uh, neat episode last time. The other thing I liked about the last episode was it uh, got my my old green handwritten book out, my album inventory that I actually, funnily enough, kept up till like 1996 or something. But it, then it got just too too many free CDs. Uh, what a problem to have, eh? Um, but uh, but it's funny. I I looked up the stories of some of these albums and learned a few things and learned uh, when I didn't have a story and why. And we'll we'll get to some of that uh, as well. So uh, let's start with our first one here. Take a listen to this first track. This is Ramones with Chainsaw. <laughs> All right, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? So this is the first Ramones album. So I wanted to include this one, even though it is a 1976. So it's my earliest one. But but the funny thing about the Ramones and seeing this album and hearing this album at 13 years old was, you know, we 
we I remember me and my buddies, I don't know who I was with, but you you look at this album, you see it in the store, you see that that strange name of the band Ramones, you think Phil Ramone, you think girls girl groups. You look at the band on the cover and you know the the whole the whole rock and roll revival thing was still kind of going on, right? Sha na na and you know, eventually had Grease and and things like that. Um you know, the UK glam thing had a rock and roll revival thing to it. So in 76, you know, you would look at this album. You know, I, I think I vaguely remembered knowing something about the Flamin' Groovies as I'm looking at this album too. And you see these guys and it doesn't really particularly scream heaviness. That picture of that band there is almost like a a, uh, a version of heaviness or an image of heaviness that comes up with the new wave of British heavy metal or something. You don't know what this is. There's no such thing as punk rock yet. Uh, so you're seeing these guys on here. It does look badass, but you don't really know what you're going to get. That band name does not sound very violent. Um and then you see the song titles and you play the album. So I remember getting this album and seeing all these short songs on this album. Um, you know, Havana Fair and Loudmouth, Judy is a Punk, Beat on the Brat. Um, you you saw sort of a, a comedic nature to these song titles. And I remember playing this album and thinking a couple of things. Um, not sure how heavy this is. It's kind of strange. Um, so, so we had a hard time grappling with the heaviness. Remember, back then as kids... Um, all we did is is like almost mathematically measure the heaviness of everything, right? We had this whole rating system from lousy through to so-so, um, which means it sort of cancels out. And then you had good. And when you got to good, you, you, um, you know, these are your good. These are your heavy songs. So we actually had lousy, good, average, good, and really good, right? Really good for the, for the absolute heaviest things you can possibly imagine in the 70s. Average, good, good, solid one. Lousy ones, virgin on a so-so. Um, I know I've explained this system a little bit, but I wanted to bring it up um, for Ramones because I remember hearing this and thinking a couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, never, you know, it seemed like a novelty vocal. Uh, we never liked those vocals. Uh, they weren't particularly heavy or aggressive. It was just kind of a weird croon and the guy had a weird voice, right? And then the other thing I remember all of us thinking is that every single one of these songs is quite heavy, but nothing rises past the level. Well, there were a couple. Okay, I remember this. There were a couple that that rose to that average good or really good level. And basically what happened there is that it had the more evil chord changes, right? So anytime the Ramones would do some evil sort of chord changes, it would rise above. Uh, if it was too too uh, melodic and reminded us of the 60s or too poppy, right? Um, it would... It would almost never with their moans fall down to a lousy. It would be more like a so-so because, uh, you know, it was still churning power chords throughout, right? Um, so so the vocal was was odd, sort of comedic. The titles were comedic. Um, the lengths of the songs were comedic. So the whole thing felt like, I, I know I, I'm, I've been threatening to do this episode on children's music at some point, but, but the Ramones always struck us as, uh, children's music slash novelty band. It just never felt like like a real punk, you know, a real proper good punk band. Uh, and coming early like this and having the long hair and stuff and having essentially a uniform um, kind of ruled them out a little bit for us as well and even the name of the band. Um, 
yeah, so that's the uh, that's the uh, impression of the Ramones. I just wanted to mention a couple more in this category. I guess, well, okay, let's catch up on a couple things. Uh, 1975, I don't think I mentioned Angel. Um, don't really remember any story from my book on when I got the Angel album. Um, and I'm pretty sure we had the debut first and, and thinking it wasn't particularly heavy, was deep purpley. Not sure about this band. We were already aligning them with Kiss just like the, the press was. I might have mentioned Richie Blackmore's Rain last episode so I'm going to leave that out that was 1975 um but also in this category is the uh, the Sex Pistols album I remember getting that and and thinking that um you know originally had the import version of that and already had some singles ahead of time but I remember thinking that um this was truly good proper heavy metal music um and loving it uh but it also had a a very disconcerting unsettling vocal kind of a nasal vocal and these very acerbic kind of smart witty lyrics and uh and it really kind of scared us that uh, that the uk was falling apart sort of thing um so that was the weird thing about the sex pistols um the damned i remember getting that as a new release um and so we're into 1977 and thinking that this is almost too chaotic. Um, some of the guitar tones are too clean on here. I remember New Rose and Stab Your Back were the songs we loved the most because they were the most straightforwardly heavy and they seemed to be the most distorted. But there's some stuff on that album where Brian James has a little bit of too clean a guitar sound. The, the drums are too junky and they're just not written sort of in as heavy a frame of mind. So we love the fact, I remember we love the fact that it was a high percentile uh, amount of heaviness on this album. Um, but other than that, it just seemed a little cha- a little too chaotic and downwound, especially against the Sex Pistols album. Um, the Saints, uh, hang on, let me just make sure. Uh, so The Damned, I remember, okay, bought that for $7.98, imported Strawberry Jams as Pocan. Sex Pistols, um, no story, but I'm kind of, uh, you know, unsettled to see. Maybe I did not have the import first, uh, but I seem to remember. No, I did. I just, the story's weird here. I, I only had a note, though, about buying the non-imported Kellys later. Um, and Ramones I didn't have a story in my book about the Saints Uh, looks like I got that at Magic Mushrooms in Spokane for a lowly $2 used Uh, The Clash I bought at Rock Island where I eventually ended up working so I bought that as a new release in Canada and Dead Boys I bought at a place called Budget and I don't even know where that is Um, but the Saints album remember getting that and thinking um this sounds this definitely has some old creaky 70s sounds to it but the guitars were so absolutely crazy heavy on it the vocals were kind of like bedheaded and iggy popish so weren't really sure about that the guys looked kind of nerdy there was some long hair there they don't they didn't look they they looked like they were renovating that house that they were in not uh, not being uh, this this cool you know punky band but i just remember on that one thinking it had all these oddball elements to it um but the fact that the guitars were so overdriven and louder than everything else made us love it. It was a heaviness factor. Uh, the Clash was possibly not quite heavy enough for us, um, but it was sort of scary, and you kind of knew they were smart, and you and you thought, and they really fit in with that with that whole you know Britain falling apart sort of thing that that we felt you know way across on the other side of Canada, um, so six thousand miles away probably. Um, And I remember the Dead Boys album thinking, uh, loving this to death. Uh, It was a little scary, a little spooky. Um, 
I'm not sure if we knew they were from Cleveland because it felt more like a New York album. It felt kind of transgressive to have the word snotty in the title, you know, young, loud, and snotty. Um, But yeah, big chugging chords, uh, loved the production on it. Um, So that was a good heavy punk album for us. Um, All right, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. All right, back again here on History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff, episode 222, Recalled Reactions, colon, uh, big debut albums. Uh, so our next one, let's take a listen. First of all, we'll discuss, this is Motorhead with Lost Johnny. Okay, so the impressions of the Motorhead album, getting this at 14 years old, little intimidated, I don't mind telling you, a little scared, uh, thinking that this was some sort of uh, band that was kind of part-time bikers, they seemed like real outlaws, uh, the whole snaggletooth thing seemed very scary, like uh, like less like a cartoon monster and more like, you know, a biker emblem, uh, Motorhead, seeing that umlaut there. Uh, Motorhead, you had a vague recollection even at 14, it had something to do with drugs. Um, I remember the um, 
So, so getting into playing it, that's when uh, sort of the world changed uh, for for music. Uh, it was the first time that I remember uh, thinking that a band tried to record super dirty and and drunken and loud and no sleep and bad speedy drugs on purpose, right? It sounded like they actually wanted it to sound like this, whereas every single previous album I ever heard, it didn't particularly sound like they were going for that that crappy sound. Although, you know, in retrospective, I suppose there was some sort of aesthetic decisions made, uh, you know, on the first two Stooges albums and even the third Stooges album, but not very, very little, little else besides that. I mean, you were trying to make it as good as possible. So, so you had that going for it. You also had uh, this crazy, insane uh, bass sound that I don't remember really hearing before. Didn't know anything about The Who, um, but this was beyond The Who. And uh, and Rush really wasn't like this either. Uh, Getty Lee, and I wouldn't say Chris Squire was this this crazy sounding for a bass uh, either. Uh, so there was that going for it. Um, uh, for it or against it. Um, and then the vocals also going for it or against it. That was a very insane, extreme type of vocal to hear. It all landed up to this, uh, or added up to this recording uh, badly on purpose thing. And then I remember the songs. We we thought that B- Vibrator at best was a lousy good. Motorhead at best was a lousy good. Um, Train kept a rolling. We were ticked off because we already had, you know, Aerosmith cover that and we weren't all, all that into that. Um, the rest of it kind of fit felt in that average good department. This song we just played might have been a very good Lost Johnny, um, but Iron Horse, Born to Lose, White Line Fever. So these songs actually sounded um, because of the grittiness to them, and you could tell buried in the muck somewhere there was a pretty uncompromising heavy song, even a slightly modern-sounding heavy song. But it wasn't until the second album that things really turned around. So I remember thinking uh, for for the year or so, a uh, year and a half, that we had this before uh, Overkill arrived. I remember thinking they were a little, uh, you know, you want to you want to sort of pat them on the head and, and that they're like a, sort of like a Rolling Stones or a Kiss sort of thing. It's like, nice try. I know kind of what you're going for. You know, you didn't quite get there. You don't seem smart enough to get there. Um, but uh, pretty cool, pretty cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, you're obviously kind of stupid compared to Judas Priest, right? Um, so I remember that was sort of the thought on Motorhead. Um also in this category, uh, call it 1977. I remember Riot Rock City. I looked it up in my green book. Got that for a dollar fifty used. And my note there says Magic Mushrooms behind the counter. So I forgot about this, and and I don't really quite remember it, but I do kind of recall that there was this ethic that you had. You guys would know this going into record stores. Um, you would try to get one up on the game and, and, and like, you know, get the new releases. You know, they had their new arrival section, but the real new revivals were still, or arrivals were still behind the counter. So, you know, it, depending on the configuration of the store and your relationship, you can kind of peer behind the counter. You would go behind the counter, flip through stuff. Sometimes the guys would say, those aren't priced yet or whatever, right? Um, but that's a fun uh, that that was a funny note seeing that because I remember us pushing the envelope quite often whether it be a new store or a used store we would go into stores you know chain stores that were getting their new stock in and we would rifle through their new stock before they even went into inventory all quite often right um you would you would go through that stuff before it even hit the racks because well because you were there I mean when it comes to Spokane we you know we weren't going to Spokane every day that's two and a half hours south of tra- south of trail into the states right um, 
So yeah, Riot, that was a funny story. Cheap Trick, uh, I didn't see anything in my green book about that, but I remember knowing about that as a new release and getting it as a new release and thinking, ah, there's something weird and comedic about this. But it felt like part of the business infrastructure that we knew because uh, you know our, our infrastructure revolved around Circus Magazine and Cream and Hit Parader, and Cheap Trick seemed to be part of that. There was a little bit of hype for this band. Uh, so I guess the people who signed them and put it out knew that they had a past. We didn't know they had a past. Uh, but I remember... I remember getting that record. I've got my copy right here. And again, uh, loving the heavy stuff on it, but even kind of, uh, you know, the door was being open to the poppier stuff. As long as it kind of rocked, uh, it didn't mind that some of this stuff was poppy. But the but the good songs on here were the likes of Hot Love, Hello Kitties, Ballad of TV Violence. Uh, we liked it when Robin Zander threw a little more vocal fry into his voice. Um, but yeah, strange looking band. I guess that didn't bother us too particularly much. They seemed like kind of a smart band. There was a lot of variety on this, and of course, you've heard my story about how I saw them support Kiss on tour on that uh, on Love Gun tour. Uh, I think it was Love Gun, uh, but in Montreal on one of our trips. But uh, but that was pretty cool seeing them early on. All right, so that's the theme for uh, for our 1977. Let's listen to our third track. Take a listen to this. This is Van Halen with Atomic Punk. Yes. All right, so this side definitely is a story I've told a few times, but I, I think it's kind of interesting. It's it's uh, one of these that I wanted to tell um, with this recalled reactions thing, but I couldn't for the last one because it was about 1976. So I remember getting this Van Halen album, knowing it was coming out, um, and uh, only one of us bought it. I think maybe Forrest bought it, my buddy Forrest Toop, and not me. Um, but I remember whoever bought it, uh, the point was, is we definitely debuted it on his family stereo on Astor, Astor Drive there. Um, and so, yeah, the Yamaha 3020, the the Bose 901s, the big, you know, teak uh, uh, turntable, Yamaha turntable as well. Sounded amazing. Big carpeted living room. Um, so I remember playing this album and, uh, you know, let's say looking at it first of all, the, the guys on the front look wise and old. This does not look like a baby band. The way they partitioned those pictures, the way they had a logo already, um, the way it said Van Halen twice on it, um, it just it just looked like a band that, uh, that had been around for a long time, knew what they were doing, and oh, by the way, here's finally our first album. It's probably going to be pretty good. David Lee Roth on the back looked amazing. He looked rich. Uh, there was kind of like a chain down in the corner. I'm looking at my copy here. Um, you know, it's with his back bent over like that. Looked like a real rock star, right? Um, the bandages on his fingers kind of, you know, I remember um, subconsciously thinking, uh, boy, this guy works hard or he's a drummer, or he's a part-time drummer or something like that. Uh, anyways, um, the thing we felt about this album was that um, the, the heavy songs uh, made this band seem like they were the very best band out of America. Uh, a band that was as good as our favorite songs from Scorpions and Judas Priest sort of thing. So that would be your Atomic Punk, Ain't Talking About Love, On Fire. Um, I remember uh, thinking, You Really Got Me. They kind of fooled us into being, you know, it was so heavy and the guitar tone was so good. 
That was an average good. I remember that being an average good. It didn't bother us particularly that it was a cover. I remember paying practically no no uh, attention to Eruption, uh, even though that's so, so much of a famous song now. And I remember uh, us feeling that the highs were so amazing on this, but the lows were really not that great. And that would be a Little Dreamer and Feel Your Love Tonight. I remember hearing those and thinking those sounded like songs from 1974 or 1975 or a Canadian band. Um, you know, we would always put down our own country, right? Um, and I remember not being particularly over the moon about Jamie's crying or um, or running with the devil. Running with the devil was too slow. Uh, the verse was too quiet. Jamie's crying, same kind of thing. Uh, not too slow, but, but it was a little bit too um, melodic. Um, so, so yeah, that, that was the deal. Uh, Everything seemed amazingly put together. Again, uh, I don't remember uh, mo- much of our mind space taken up with how amazing is this guitarist. It was more about how amazing is this frontman and how amazing are these songs. Uh, that was it. And, and how great it was produced. Uh, and how violently heavy the heavy songs were. I remember thinking that. I remember thinking the likes of Atomic Punk, um, I'm the One, uh I would say mostly, and, and yeah, definitely on fire as well. Um, I remember feeling that uh, those songs had the violence that we had rarely, never felt with Judas Priest really, and really it reminded us of Scorpion's Dark Lady and Scorpion's Virgin Killer more than anything in, in how crazy uh, aggressive they sounded. Uh, you know, from the scraping guitar through to David Lee Roth's screams. Um, you know, it, the funny thing is everybody puts down David Lee Roth um, as a singer, um, you know, especially in the live situation or whatever. And I've heard the whole story about how hard it was to get these vocals out of him. But we love the vocals. There is no problem with the vocals on this album. Okay, so the other one I wanted to quickly mention as a uh, recalled reaction, big debut albums, uh, David Coverdale's Snakebite. Um, so the funny thing is that uh, immediately that uh, that album showed up in in the racks here, and uh, little did we know that it was uh, some songs taken from the David Coverdale North Winds, you know the the um, the the solo situation, and then this EP that they put out in England. So this thing just arrived, and we just thought all those songs belong together. Um, and I remember getting it and feeling like, okay, this is just another one of these disappointing uh, Deep Purple. Remember we did the. Uh, off the Deep Purple End uh, episode long, long time ago. Um, and it just felt like um, David Coverdale wasn't even delivering. He's basically delivering another uh, Stormbringer. Um, it didn't feel as good as Burn, even though we didn't even really like Burn very much. It wasn't heavy enough. And Come Taste the Band, we weren't really super into either. So uh, there, there weren't high hopes for this, except for the fact that it was called Snakebite. Uh, that that was really cool. Um, and there were a couple of heavy songs on it, but it did not uh, it did not supremely uh, impress sort of thing. Um, all right, so let's move on. Let's play our next selection. Take a listen to this. This is someone you might have heard of called Iron Maiden uh, with a song called Running Free.
Okay, so the theme here is uh, is the new wave of British heavy metal, and my note on Iron Maiden says uh, that I got this at Quintessence, uh, so that surprised me. I can't even picture where Quintessence even was now, um, but I guess, yeah, I guess this is Vancouver, right? So I always thought... I always remember getting this in, uh, maybe it is Spokane. I don't know. You guys could tell me. Um, I just remember getting this in Spokane for some reason. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, my note says quintessence, import with Saxon. So that was probably Wheels of Steel. fourteen ninety nine. So that makes me think I did get this in Vancouver. Kind of weird. Uh, May 28th or 30th, 1980, uh, my note said as well. Um, and I guess the album came out April 14th, 80. So yeah, it was basically a new release. Uh, but, uh, so I remember getting this and thinking, um, these guys were already the leaders of the new wave of British heavy metal. They were going to be the most exciting of the baby bands. Um, you know, we won't go into it, but the whole illustration thing was fresh and strange seeing that monster on the front eddie um you know love the logo the pointiness of the letters that spelt that meant heavy metal i remember loving this um chaotic crazy looking live shot on the back that looks like a, some sort of a evil occult ritual with the with the uh the lighting coming up from the bottom um and then there's this bright section over to the right uh which looks like an explosion just happened uh and then you get the alternate version of the eddie the head the old head with the lit up eyes um and i remember getting this and the uh our impression was spooky but a little bit loose a little bit uh it definitely reminded us a little bit of uh paranoid and black sabbath era black sabbath there was something old and not as good as judas priest about this album um so the production uh remember not really thinking production but i I suppose subconsciously that was the problem with it it was a little bit loose it was a little bit punky um it was still super exciting but i even remember comparing it to our other new wave of british heavy metal bands you could tell that there was something better about the songwriting about this band um but i remember i'm just gonna try get the rating here um you know rating this album we probably went really good lousy uh Average good, really good, uh, so-so, uh, because basically um, instrumentals were usually counted as so-so. Uh, lousy, um, Sanctuary wasn't on my import version, so I but but that comes in at an average good. Charlotte the Harlot comes in at a really good, and Iron Maiden comes in at a really good. Um, so yeah, it's funny. I can I can remember my rating system for most of these albums uh, back then. So so that's Iron Maiden. And I remember Angel Witch. I think I got my copy here. I remember getting this, and it's a little bit like the Iron Maiden situation where we knew about the band ahead of time. There were some singles. Um, so on board with that. Uh, so when the debut happens, uh, it's blowing our mind. Um, that album cover is so scary looking with that old historical, uh, you know, the, the thing they had to get the rights for from the Tate Gallery uh, for this, right? Uh, the Fallen Angels Entering Pandemonium by John Martin. Um, and I remember we knew some of these songs before, um, so Angel Witch we knew before, Sweet Danger we knew before, um, because of the singles, remember there was the, uh, the 7 inch single and the 12 inch version, a couple different things, we loved Angel Witch already, they, we could, basically we, we thought they were cooler than Iron Maiden and scarier than Iron Maiden already, um, but then getting this, um, we loved the album, uh, but I remember there were a few kind of 
semi-poppy songs on here. White Witch, Angel Witch. Um, I think there's one thing on here that's a little bit of a ballad. Free Man, uh, Gorgon. Sw Sweet Danger was amazing. Angel of Death was amazing. Confused was so amazing. That was that that sounded like pre, um, you know, pre Metallica, slow Metallica. Um, so yeah, this this was uh, quickly went to the top of our lists. I think I think for 80, 81, 82, um, we spent all of that. Basically, we spent all of the new wave of British heavy metal thinking Angel Witch was the best of all the new wave of British heavy metal bands. Um, yeah, funny. Um, but, uh, but you know, and it's warranted for the debut, but then they don't put an album out for a long time. The lineup changes, the singing changes, uh, the production is not so great, and they uh, and their songwriting, they, they literally almost change direction. So this album stands apart, but, uh, you know, it's, it's only when you get to Iron Maiden Killers uh, that you're starting to see Iron Maiden sort of ta overtake Angel Witch. But for the first while, uh, Angel Witch was the best. So spooky with the Baphomet, um, you know, picture on the back, crudely drawn, you know, kind of like Venom and kind of like Witchfind, right? Uh, and then, you know, the guys, three guys, you know, middle guy, I guess that's Kevin Riddles, right? Holding the sword like that. Uh, very cool. Um but uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's Angel Witch, uh, Tigers of Pantang. I remember what are we at here? Twenty eight minutes. Tigers of Pantang. I remember, um, you know, uh, loving that, loving the pictures of the band on the back, loving the scrappy vocals of Jess Cox. The the album cover was super exciting. Got that as an import as well. Uh, what does my note say? Okay, Angel Witch. My note says Strawberry Jams, March first, nineteen eighty one. Tigers of Pantang says November second. Uh, 1980 special order strawberry jams now even though the angel which says that here's the thing i learned about my my little green book um sometimes what happened was one of the friends got the album and then and then my note of getting my own personal copy is later so sometimes only one person has it and and we have to live with that that album presides at that kid's household right um and then you know you would borrow it or bring it over and you'd do that that kind of stuff with it maybe you'd tape um but uh but yeah these these albums usually uh brought into trail it would be like a single copy and it was almost considered like redundant that that we would buy the same album again unless it was was an amazing album and usually you'd, you'd run off and you'd get something else uh, because already that album's been tainted because that's your friend's album and you're jealous of them anyways um so it's like oh i'm not gonna get a copy of that it's not that good right no that kind of thing um or or like i say um it's tainted because you know the excitement's over and it, the excitement belongs with that particular friend right um so yeah that sometimes happens um i just wanted to mention uh venom welcome to hell um, that was a little mix of the spookiness and fear of the Angel Witch album or the Witch Find album and also the recording Badly on Purpose uh, experience of Motorhead. Uh, so we thought that was a band almost making fun of music um, and, and almost like these guys are really trying to pull one over on us with this really, really bad, you know, as they called it, vacuum cleaners on drum sort of thing. Um, all right, let's move on uh, because we are, uh, again, I've, I've, I've been kind of making these longer lately, haven't I? Um, take a listen to our fifth selection here. This is Ozzy Osbourne with Revelation Mother Earth.
All right, so category here. I only got two in here, so this will this will go fast. But this is our super groups, right? Um, so um, well, let's deal with the other one first. The only other one I had that I definitely remember getting his new release is the Michael Schenker Group album. The debut got this September twenty first, nineteen eighty, at Eucalyptus. Seven ninety nine. I paid for this. Um, Eucalyptus was a really cool chain uh, in Spokane. I remember a couple of big Eucalyptus stores, big bright airy stores, uh, glass all around, high ceilings, uh, just a really good retailer good prices on all the new stuff um didn't wasn't wasn't a big participator in the import thing but this is where you get your new stuff right um so yeah i i kind of can picture myself getting this uh, on division uh street or avenue or whatever it's called the big big long street that leads into spokane from the north uh so this was on division it was on your left side going south into town um so yeah, I remember getting this and thinking this is really cool. Uh, loving this album. It was melodic. It seemed very professional. The production wasn't the greatest, uh, produced by Roger Glover. Um, but yeah, it just felt like they, you know, he was now fully competing with uh, UFO and very useful album. Now the Aussie, it's a bit of a situation here. So I remember getting this. Uh, what do my notes say? November twenty second, nineteen eighty, bought with Ace of Spades, both as imports at Strawberry Jams. So in Spokane again. So it's one of these trips. Uh, my notes said ten bucks. Um, so I must have paid maybe nine ninety nine for this as, as an import. Um, but yeah, absolutely blown away, floored to uh, to get this. Uh, can't remember the lead up to it, knowing this was coming or knowing exactly much about it. Um, but uh, love the picture of Ozzy on the front holding up the cross in an attic like that. Uh, and on the back, um, this copy, sadly, I no longer have my original copy. I have a domestic. And on the back, it's just got that crappy live shot. But I remember on the back, it had those guys all standing there looking imposing. So this was a super group. And I remember playing the album and us thinking that... Uh, this is kind of surprising, kind of melodic. Uh, we found I Don't Know to be an average good. Crazy Train to be a lousy good. Uh, goodbye to Romance, lousy. D, lousy. Suicide Solution, average good. So there are no really goods on this side. Uh, Mr. Crowley, uh, that was close to a so-so. For some reason, we didn't think it was that heavy. It was a little proggy. No Bone Movies was a, was a lousy good. It was just too happy and cheerful um revelation mother earth was a so-so because it had some heavy parts and, and steal away the night was an average good so there were no really good songs for us on the debut as kids we thought everything was only you know somewhat heavy uh i don't know as as and suicide solution probably the heaviest um but uh, yeah, we found this very poppy and like the Van Halen, I don't remember thinking much about the guitarist or the guitars. Um, just thought it was uh, kind of a different sort of sound, interesting production. The guitar's really loud on it. Um, so kind of surprised that uh, that Ozzy would do this melodic an album. So we were on board. Uh, it was cool to see. Uh, but I don't remember loving these songs or any of these songs being massive, massive anthems to us as kids. I mean, obviously the legend of Crazy Train and I don't know grew over time. But uh, I remember thinking I don't know and Crazy Train were a little disco-y. Crazy Train especially uh, did not like that verse. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of the... Um, uh, what's it called? The, the, uh, the, 
uh, Number of the Beast song. Uh, it, it had that sing-songy quality, and it was definitely a little disco-y. Uh, and I thought I Don't Know was like a heavier version of Crazy Train. I remember thinking that as well. So, um, yeah, pretty interesting. So so I had the import, um, and then the domestic eventually came out, and there were no changes to the tracks. The tracks were all the same. Um, there you go. That's your Aussie and Michael Schenker. Um if you like the show and want to support future episodes, please go to ko-fi.com uh, slash Martin Popoff. Hit that red support button. Buy me a coffee or a pint. This week, I would like to thank Joe Becht. Joe, I was just uh, editing all our stuff for the Robert Plant panel book, so I've, I'm more or less finished. Um, in fact, another uh, kind Ko-Fi uh, contributor here, Augustin Garcia de Paredes, uh, he, he uh, kindly... Um, he proofreads uh, all my stuff too, so we both go through a couple uh, couple of rounds. But uh, yeah, we're we're basically near the end of that. But uh, Joe, you're uh, you're a great contributor in that one. Uh, Andy at Black Sugar Transmission. Now, Andy, I I can't talk about Andy or what he's in because it's still a secret. But he contributed for a different one of my panel books. Um, that's uh, kind of a next level up, I would say. Uh, let's just leave it at that. Um, this will be this will be full color throughout hardcover. Blah blah blah. Um, but uh, yeah, Andy did some great. Uh, contributions on that i also want to thank paul gaspari and philip edward phyllis and steve Polari. so thank you all you can go to uh, martinpopoff.com for all your book needs you know i sign them send them out paypal buttons um and uh the current ones uh doing doing nice business are uh are the who quadrophenia book the big expensive hardcover and the blue oyster cult panel book as well so uh there you go um that is probably the last of these recollections ones but you guys did kind of like this i i i really hate that as i'm telling these stories i'm thinking i've told these stories a lot of times i hope it wasn't here i hope it wasn't in history of five songs or too many times in history of five songs man it could have could have been a few times um but anyways there you go i should remember that uh that this all got done and i should be able to tell by the title if if we're doing this you know episodes episodes later than this so uh there you go um your homework for the day uh you know what uh Go play that song in full that I was playing here. I forgot how cool uh, Ozzy's Revelation Mother Earth is. What a great song. Um, that one and Mr. Crowley, I suppose, go together uh, pretty closely. I never really remember having that thought, uh, but I'm having that thought now. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 